1: Let's spend a little bit of time today talking about our Christian faith and from terminology that scientists often like to use when they're talking about hypotheses or they're talking about theories. Our special guest for the next short while is Ron Chatelier. Ron's a physical biochemist who works in the development of medical devices that test blood. He's also a strong Christian believer and has held faith in Christ for a very long time and thinks through these issues of Christian faith and science very deeply. Ron Chatelier, welcome along to 2020.
2: Thank you very much, Neil.
1: Uh, Ron, just before we get into uh, some of the issues uh, with this clash between Christianity and science and then Christianity and atheism, a little about the sort of work that you do as a physical biochemist.
2: Uh, Yes. Well, basically, physical biochemistry is the interface between physics, biology and chemistry. We're interested in the uh, rates and energies of reactions that happen inside the body. Um, so my particular work has brought me to um, quite a practical area where I develop medical devices to test blood. And our first product was a glucose sensor for diabetics called One Touch Vario, and that's marketed by Johnson & Johnson. And then the second product is the Exprecia Stride. Uh, it's for testing blood coagulation time for people who are on warfarin, and that's marketed by Siemens Healthcare Diagnostics.
1: Ron, when you apply your scientific understanding to issues that are to do with faith and the realities of what we see around us, what sort of inconsistencies do you see? And how do you, as a scientist, make sense of some of the big issues that come up against the the clash of Christianity and science?
2: Okay, well, well, there's so many different directions in which we can go. Um, One thing which often strikes me when I'm listening to people talk is they they often don't distinguish between the Bible and their ideas about the Bible, and so everyone takes a slightly different angle on the Bible. Um, So that's one thing. Um, As I was thinking about Christianity and science, I realized that, in fact, um, scientists deal with hypotheses which are falsifiable. Uh, That's because it's very easy to falsify a hypothesis, uh, but very hard to verify it. So, for example, Christianity is falsifiable. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, I think, he said that if Christ is not risen, then our faith is in vain. So there you are. If anyone found bones that belong to Jesus Christ, then he hasn't been resurrected, and our faith is in vain. Um, and then it got me wondering whether perhaps some of the atheists who speak have, have also set up falsifiable hypotheses. So take, for example, someone like Richard Dawkins, who will, who will carry out an, uh, an argument like this. For every observation, there's an explanation. And the most complex explanation you can possibly give is that God did it. And so he's willing to wait as long as possible for science to find an alternative explanation. Um, That sounds very fine and rational, but what he's basically saying is that there is no data you can give me and no philosophical argument that you can make that will make me change my mind.
1: In other words, that's not really the way a scientific approach is actually formulated.
2: Yes, I didn't want to call it unscientific because that's, insulting and i wouldn't go for the ad hominem approach where you um you attack the person instead of the issue but you you could say it's non-scientific in the sense that scientists set up hypotheses which can be falsified and richard dawkins and others have set up this way of thinking which cannot be falsified
1: This is an interesting uh, perspective because when we think of Christianity and we think of the capacity of Christianity to be falsified, and perhaps there's been almost 2,000 years of history in which that Christianity hasn't been able to be falsified, and yet uh, this scientific angle that atheists often take uh, really doesn't leave any capacity for this falsification.
2: Yes, that's right. So... Um, when you talk to someone who adopts this position, you're basically talking along parallel lines which never meet because there is nothing you could say um, that could possibly change their mind. But fortunately, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so an atheist can still have a power encounter with God and can still change. And I think this sort of thing has happened for, for people like Lee Strobel and so on. Um, they've been convinced by God rather than by by some uh, clever argument. Uh,
1: that's interesting because uh, it gives uh, some credibility and uh, insight that comes from the personal experiences that people have. Uh, some of those aren't verifiable either, I guess. But uh, but for the individual, that's very meaningful.
2: Uh, yes, exactly. The thing about atheism is it does dehumanise. The human experience, because if you have an encounter with God, then an atheist would lapse into psycho babble and say well that 's because you missed the love of your father or because you 're afraid of dying, or they 'll use some other psychological argument to explain away your encounter with God, um, whereas someone who 's of the Christian faith can say well that 's awesome, you know, keep going for god i 'll support you and pray i 'll walk with you so um I think that's one difference between the two streams of thought.
1: Back to Richard Dawkins. If he doesn't allow for a falsifiability for his hypothesis, and for those who follow him, those who'd call themselves atheists, do they usually recognize that they are outside of a scientific model if there is no capacity for this falsifiability?
2: Um, I've listened to various... um, a Christian apologists debate with Dawkins, and there's some really ex- excellent people such as John Lennox and so on. And I haven't heard anyone else mention this, so I'm, in fact I'm thinking of emailing John Lennox and maybe Alistair McGrath and the others who are out there.
1: Well stay with us because there's plenty to talk about Ron and we'll talk some more about these very different angles that we talk about when we talk about religion and science and I know that you don't like to separate the two and I'm interested in your insights as to just how science comes alive when you apply faith in God. We'll come back and we'll talk some more in just a few moments. Ron Chatelier is our guest. He's a physical biochemist who works in the development of medical devices. That test blood. Back with more in just a short while. We're talking with Ron Chatelier. He's a physical biochemist. And in our last segment we were talking about the fact that Christianity is in fact falsifiable. If you believe those words of the Apostle Paul that says that if Christ is not risen, then your faith is in vain, that means that if someone were to discover the bones of Jesus, then there is something that is falsifiable about our Christian faith. But the same thing is not being said of science, and particularly the science that those who are atheists allude to. Uh, Ron, this whole idea of science and religion, they are in some respects compatible and other respects, others are trying to drive a wedge between them. You like to link God and science,
2: don't you? Uh, well, yes, as far as possible. I find um, my faith is actually a motivation to do science. Um, it says somewhere in the Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of God. So why not study astronomy? And then not not just studying big things, but very small things. You see more and more detail. In fact, I think scientists ought to praise God most loudly because we understand the very fine detail. Um, so one way to approach science is you can just think of it as the rational study of the universe and that's a great definition um, but if you want to add a bit of purpose to it, you could say that um, it's the rational study of the glory of God in the material universe um, and that, that there's no loss of rationality there but you, you have a heightened sense of purpose once you approach it in
1: that way is there a sense of destitution in the rational only approach to science if you leave the god part out of your scientific research and you're trying to theorize about the universe and about human life if you if you leave that divine purpose out is there a a desolate nature of of science that is just science for science sake
2: um, Yes, Neil, I haven't thought of it in those terms, but I would imagine that if someone had only a materialistic view of the universe, then as that sense of wonder started to build in them, they would have to try and maybe uh, push it down a little bit, because if that wonder gets big enough, it starts looking like worship. And, uh, well, that just wouldn't be allowed if you're just a materialist. And so I I think, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd call it destitution, but I know what you mean. Um, yes.
1: Let's talk about then the way that various beliefs develop. And I know you've given some thought to the way that a scientific theory can develop. And there are some similarities, aren't there, in the way that our faith develops, because we all start uh, with a beginning point.
2: Um, yes, and, and thank goodness our faith can develop, because if we were to start um, with a, in a small cult or maybe um, with false doctrine, we want to be open and vulnerable so that the Holy Spirit can slowly move us. Um, so one of the things, uh, I wrote an article recently, and one of the things that I recommended is that maybe people should treat their beliefs as if it was a hypothesis, because when a scientist sets up a hypothesis and starts collecting data, then he or she could either accept or reject or modify the hypothesis. And in the same way, you may start with a certain set of doctrines, but if you find that there's a better way of thinking about the Bible, or maybe you have more information about the background of the Bible, you might then start to modify that as well.
1: Apart from the fact that a lot of people are born into families where they're a part of a religious tradition and they are presented with a whole bunch of doctrines that are set in place uh, those things I guess need to be rediscovered but for those who are coming from outside of the Christian Church you do start don't you with a perhaps a, a list of understandings doctrines or teachings about God and then you've got to work through those to actually find out whether they are true or not it does actually sound like a quite a significant scientific approach to actually knowing what you believe is true
2: yes and fortunately the holy spirit leads us to reading certain books by certain authors so um hopefully into the mainstream writing on christian apologetics and doctrine rather than off to off to the corners
1: And of course when you like to focus on the fact that scientists often say things that are not very scientific, Christians often say things that are not very Christian, it does indicate, doesn't it, that we're all on this learning curve and uh, and a journey towards maturity and sometimes we have to be able to change our understanding in order to adopt what is an understanding that is based in truth.
2: Uh, yes, I think that showing people you're willing to change is very important because if someone walks into our church, we expect them to be vulnerable and open to new ideas and open to change and open to having the foundations of their life shaken. So it would, be, it would show so much integrity if we could say to them, well, we are also willing to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable and to change. If we can find something better, we'll go for it.
1: And, of course, what I think probably most Christians do when they're a part of a mainstream denomination and they look at those beliefs that their church holds to and then they correlate those with the understanding that they can glean from the scriptures, uh, those things are almost in as some people say uh, thinking the thoughts of God after him having realised that a lot of those foundations that we'll find in our local church's teaching are actually based very significantly in the truth. If we find that there are things that are wrong obviously then we need to question those and ask those who are in authority to explain that I suppose puts a weight of responsibilities on leaders uh, to make sure that they do understand the doctrine about God that comes from the Bible
2: uh, yes, that's true. Um, certainly, if, if a pastor goes into the background of a Bible, or maybe goes into a, the, the original word in the Greek or Hebrew text, it's very, um, I think, useful and interesting for us. And sometimes I think um, what's spo- spoken about in churches is dumbed down a little bit. I think we need a little bit more meat um, and food.
1: And so when you open the Bible, or if you're in your church, and you're approaching the Bible from a scientific understanding and even applying some scientific processes, is that a relevant way to actually look at Scripture in the developing of a, an understanding?
2: Um, yes, I, th- I think though we have to be careful that that because now we have an understanding of molecules and thermodynamics and so on, and the people who wrote the Bible did not. So any any interpretation we try and put on it, it has to be true across all nations and races and tribes. Um, and I think the Bible is also cradle to grave, and so it has to be... Uh, as relevant to, say, a college graduate as to a high school student or an an older person. And so we, we need a sensitivity as well, I think, as we come to interpret.
1: Well, Ron, great getting your insights today. And we started off talking about a falsifiable hypothesis. And we said that, yes, Christianity is a falsifiable hypothesis, insofar as there would be some things that could actually disprove Christianity. Those things have not been discovered. But on the other side, the atheist side, who likes to use science almost as a weapon, they've backed themselves into a corner. This corner of not having a falsifiable hypothesis, this, I think, must uh, must obviously relate to a lot of those leaders of the atheistic science movement. But I guess if you were talking to ordinary people who are interested in science, how would you say that they ought to approach uh, the way they think about science and some of the big claims of science that might take people in a direction away from God?
2: Um, I think it's very useful to read widely because if you just read narrowly, um, then you can quite easily fall into a particular groove of thinking. Um, so, yeah, reading widely uh, in multiple disciplines and fields and different types of authors, um, I think is very useful.
1: And there's a thought, isn't there, that somehow or other, uh, what is scientific? Well, it's sealed. You know, the science proves this, the science proves that. Uh, yes. Science is very fluid, isn't it? And there are a lot of things that are changing as knowledge grows.
2: Yes. When I was a student in the 70s, um, 98% of our DNA was called junk DNA, because only two percent coded for proteins. Whereas now we find that chunk DNA actually makes lots of little micro RNAs and they're very important in the body. So that that's a huge change um in the last forty years.
1: Ron Chatelier, is a physical biochemist and as we've been hearing, very interested in issues of God and faith. And, Ron, just great getting your insights today, and I hope we get a chance to talk on another day. But uh, certainly thank you for taking your time to talk to us today on 2020.
2: You're welcome, Neil. Thank you.
1: Before
0: you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported.